Welcome back to Poison for Profit. I'm Nick. And I'm Zach. And it's been a while since we've done one of these, Zach. Feels a little bit weird. It's been a long while. Yeah. It feels good, honestly. Feels good. I'm ready to, get, to <laughs> back, get back into these. Back to business as usual. Going to be bringing you guys an article tonight that Zach and I did some research on. Getting down to some truth, I would say. There's some truths. Getting to the meat of it. Yeah, and uh, kind of, I guess, show an example of how things can get misconstrued through the grapevine. Many grapevines, many intertwining grapevines of things being misconstrued. But yeah, so we're going to be looking at an article uh, coming from Yahoo News, uh, but up the grapevine from the Telegraph. So there's our first grapevine of (laughs) misinformation getting lost. Yeah. Well, it comes from, I guess, the original grapevine is a study, right? Correct. From a PhD candidate. Candidate, right? Is he a student or a candidate? candidate is there a difference? Is what his LinkedIn says. Okay. From the University of Michigan uh, School of Sustainability, the Environment and Sustainability, is yep. that it? And um, I guess, Nick, do you want to explain what the well, well, well let's start with the <laughs> i feel like i'm fucking this no, up. Good. but let's start with the yahoo article and you can uh, kind of take us through that yeah so this originally we'll get into more of this later but this originally came across my my desk from the one and only joe rogan whatever you think of him uh we'll have some comments later on uh, friend of the show <laughs> yeah you know we're basically he's been in our our shadow for a long while is the number one <laughs> podcast on spotify <laughs> but uh he posted about how anyone that is encouraging you to not grow your own food is not your friend and cited this article so this article like we said come from well before i'm sorry i just had to interrupt you kid he didn't exactly cite the article. He posted a screenshot of the headline, which is just very, you know, typical Joe Rogan, I think. But um, yeah, anyways, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, but that is important because then yeah. it did make it more, more difficult to find the original sources and actually dig into this. Uh, but we'll get into that whole aspect of this a little bit later in this episode. Uh, just getting into this article, it's titled Carbon Footprint of Homegrown Food Five Times Greater Than Those Grown Conventionally, which is a pretty shocker uh, title. I mean, I I think most people's thought is that just growing it in your backyard, growing any food, you're going to be way less of a footprint. I mean, most people think of the trucks that are transporting the food, the tractors that are growing the food. All of these huge uh, fossil fuels using machinery, uh, things of that nature, pesticides, uh, fertilizers, all those chemicals. How could this be? Um, and then, yeah, and it, it, it the the implication is that it's better for the environment to just let conventional farming handle growing food, right? Right. And so, this is, I mean, from a 
just looking at it face value, this is a pretty scary thing for people like Zach and I, because this does not truly represent what's going on. Uh, if you uh, truthfully think about the different health and environmental impacts that conventional farming does uh, have on the environment, um, as we've talked in many of our other episodes. Um, but this article just goes into saying how this new study from the University of Michigan looked into how much CO2 is produced when growing foods in different types of urban farms. Uh, they found that the average traditional farm created 0.07 kilograms of CO2, and these urban agriculture farms were creating 0.34 kilograms per portion of food. So technically, yes, it is five times higher. However, this we'll get. I'll let Zach get into the whole meat and potatoes of that once he really digests into the scientific article. But it is an aspect of farming uh, these foods that is important, you know, to look into your total costs. But this whole article, I think, is AI generated. Personally, <laughs> the writer. Joe Pinkstone, fake name, 100%. And if you look him up. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. So we don't get sued. That's not actionable, yeah. Fake name for sure, though. <laughs> uh, all his pictures online, fake, AI generated. And then in this article, they even have some just terrible like graphs about how to grow green. It says to grow your tomatoes, grow asparagus, use recycled wood and building materials, repair, don't replace aging sheds and garden beds, and then grow 90% flowers, not foods to offset emissions with social benefits, which doesn't make any sense when the whole point of growing food is so you can eat, <laughs> not have flowers around your house. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what they mean by social benefit i guess if they do really mean like uh social as in a hey all your friends can come look at your flowers or if they mean like yeah well anyways yeah it doesn't make any sense on how you're going to lower your emissions by growing any flowers um but so the true study that was referenced earlier in this article was written, co-authored by a Jake Hawes, a PhD candidate at Michigan. And so when you truthfully dig into what is in his article, the story isn't exactly as crystal clear as this article is making it seem that conventional farms are 10,000 times better than urban agriculture. Or I keep saying urban agriculture because that's what's in the true study, but I think this article just references home gardening for the most part, homegrown foods and things like that, uh, which yeah. is just completely yeah, misleading of to what the true study is about. Absolutely. So, so let's just talk about the study generally and what the findings were. So they got their, first of all, they got their conventional data from FAO of the uh, United Nations. And we consider that a pretty reputable source, right? But um, they also studied 73 urban agriculture sites around the world. And they found that, like Nick said, urban agriculture 
is uh, was it five to six times more uh, carbon intensive per serving of fruit or vegetable than conventional farming. Right. The catch here is that the study really focused on the life cycle emissions of certain activities and infrastructure of urban agriculture. So um, the infrastructure is actually what they found to be the most common emission source. And that includes things like building raised beds, building sheds, concrete pathways, things like that. The data also suggests or... Um, let me say they actually found 17 of the 73 sites had a lower emissions than conventional farms, which is nearly a quarter of their entire sample size of urban agriculture, right? So it seems like a significant portion of the areas they actually looked at performed better than the kind of overall conclusion that they came to. Mm-hmm. And before we get into kind of the reasons that those 17 performed better, I do want to kind of talk a little bit more about what sustainability actually is, um, because I think there is this conception that uh, it is all about carbon intensity and carbon footprints, right? Agriculture as an industry only accounts for 10% of United States greenhouse gas emissions, Transportation, on the other hand, is almost three times higher, and that's the most. That's the that's the biggest industry for carbon emissions, and I really doubt that transportation played a role in kind of this assessment. I think it was they really just looked at the growing process, right? Which makes sense. Conventional agriculture is scaled at a far greater rate than uh, urban agriculture, right. right? So you just put shit in the ground. You got one tractor that goes, covers, you know, maybe 500 acres, a thousand acres of crops. But um, when we talk about sustainability, I just don't want to gloss over the things like biodiversity, uh, pollution, waste, and, and, you know, land degradation that comes from, you know, what is currently known as conventional agriculture, right? So, and I think what we're going to talk about here is that these small scale regenerative practices are easily more sustainable in a holistic sense than conventional agriculture. Right. Yeah. That's something they do brief, like one sentence briefly talk about in the actual study is that that there are the benefits of nutritional and environmental benefits that aren't really factored into this study. So that's, I mean, it's a huge area for, I think, most people. Um, Some people don't care. They'll take whatever bullshit potatoes they pull out of the ground, if they're regenerative or not, if they were sprayed this morning with pesticides. It's it's a pretty big piece (laughs) that's not being yeah. talked about. And 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 yeah, I guess we can talk a little bit about the differences in those things like biodiversity, regenerative practices and urban agriculture pretty much probably in any form um does not contribute to like the the biodiversity loss and land degradation loss that conventional agriculture does by uh 
you know, clearing so much wildlife habitat or um, having that bare ground. Like we were talking about when there was that giant pile up in central Illinois, right? Because (laughs) people couldn't see, yeah, past the dust that was blown across the road. Um, And then things like pollution, like water pollution. And we're talking about like the hypoxia zone in the Gulf of Mexico. That's because of conventional agriculture. And then the most obvious one's probably waste. You go into a grocery store and how much of that food do you think goes uneaten and is just thrown out? Right. Compared to what you imagine, you know, uh, a rooftop or a, a personal garden, the food that comes from there, how much of that is uh, goes uneaten. Um, but just those kind of things that, to keep in mind when we talk about sustainability and really carbon footprints place in that conversation because it's not the only thing yeah exactly it's it's this whole other slew of uh talking points where we could really bore everybody to death by talking about them all but (laughs) as we do in most episodes i'm sure so so we will uh yeah i'll move past that (laughs) and i mentioned that 17 of their 73 sites that they studied had lower emissions than conventional farms, right? And they had some reasons for that. Um, three of the biggest reasons is first use, using recycled materials, including food waste and water. That's regenerative right there. I mean, that's basically what regenerative <laughs> means. Uh, next is growing crops that are carbon intensive when grown by conventional methods. Uh, for example, they, they mentioned tomatoes and asparagus that um, are more carbon intensive when they are grown conventionally, which I, I wouldn't limit what anybody grows in their backyard right. to, to those two, right? But I, I know tomatoes are like a big backyard uh, food. Uh, and then keeping urban gardens going long term, which is really the entire idea. Of regenerative is is allowing it to self-sustain so nick mentioned before about kind of all of the articles being written on this this paper and these findings and about how they might be misrepresenting uh, the conclusion and maybe the author's intent even right Mm -hmm. because i don't think I don't think the findings of this paper and I don't think the the research intends to uh, discourage urban farming or anything like that. Um, I think it actually promotes sustainable practices that are, you know, the the tenets of regenerative farming and small scale farming. Um, But a lot of these these outlets like the Telegraph. Uh, which then gets, I guess, distributed by Yahoo News, right? They kind of dumb it down to uh, backyard gardens are bad and big giant crop fields are good, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and then that ultimately, you know, makes it to people like Joe Rogan, who's 
I think he's pretty well known for just like not actually reading articles and 100%. reacting to headlines yep. <laughs> and getting other people to react to headlines. And um, and you can like see it in the comments of his social medias, right? Yeah. Uh, like we've got one here. I'll just read. <laughs> so he shared this headline and one of the, the comments is, oh, yeah, the government isn't going to try and control our lives. They will take away every freedom slowly but surely. Which is just like, what about this is screaming government intervention? And you can stop me here if if you believe something else. But I think like when people like Joe Rogan do the things that he really does all the time, it just kind of like drives people deeper and deeper into this like, reactionary mindset where now they don't trust um certain media if it doesn't immediately like resonate with with what they think is true right Right. whether whether they read the actual article or the actual source material or not yeah i mean that's pretty much exactly what i was gonna say too it's you you can never just read the the headline. I mean, the headline's there to get you in and get you reading. It could not be true. Uh, it could be a quote. It could be anything. Um, and then it's just completely. I don't know. It it's, it's unfortunate that like so many people are going to see like what Joe Rogan has posted, and they're just gonna say, "Well, I saw Joe Rogan said it, and he has." actual biggest podcast in the world not us weird i know uh but but they'll they'll see that he has posted it and they're gonna be like oh wow they're trying to get us to stop or you know it's bad for me to grow plants or whatever you know that they're gonna try to stop me from gardening they're gonna try to feed uh, me the the garbage that they feed everybody else right and then you don't post your source so it's difficult for people to do their own independent research uh, not that many people do, um, <laughs> but we, you might be giving uh, the followers of Joe Rogan a little too much <laughs> grace. But but yeah, no, I mean that's the idea, right? Right. It just perpetuates this. I feel like craziness that we have going on in the world. <laughs> it's hard enough to like understand some of the shit that they write in these papers. Um, Sometimes it's not very intuitive, I guess, or apparent what the data says. And they have to, I would say, yeah, these the scientific writers are not the best at spelling things out for the layman. Right. I feel. Yeah, they, they're, they're not there to convey a message. They're there to represent the data as to whatever the data is or is not. Um, they're not there to say that. They're not there to say that growing plants in your backyard is good or bad. They're there to just find the data and say this is what the data is showing to us. Is it true or not? They they still don't really know. You have to do multiple tests and multiple research, uh, uh, repeated research on it to see if it's true. And I'll be the first to admit, it is hard to read these fucking articles. I had to ask Zach three or four times while we were getting ready for this episode. What the hell does this mean? Or do you know what this means? Or, you know. I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, it. it's tough. So shocking. <laughs> Just like Zach saying, it's not really put for the layman. And 
it's tough. W- yeah, which makes like the role of I would I would call them science communicators more important, right? Because there is a pretty good companion piece that went along with this paper that really barely resembles the work that Joe Pinkstone did. AI conglomerate Joe Pinkstone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> alleged. Uh, but then, of course, Joe Pinkstone writing for The Telegraph that gets picked up by Yahoo News, which uh, has an enormously larger following than uh, The Conversation, which is where the intended companion piece was actually posted. Mm. So they boil it down to like five paragraphs, right? Or or a three-minute read, right? Because you got to boil it down as much as you can. Um, to get people, I guess. I feel like three minutes even is even pushing think it. about reading it. <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be honest, the, the, the piece in the conversation isn't that long, but it is much more representative of what I think the, the real findings of right. the study were. Yeah. It actually does kind of outline more so what the takeaways are from this research paper. Yeah. And it, it's just kind of funny just going back to kind of the Joe Rogan <laughs> shit and like his audience who I, I imagine a large, and I know like people who listen to this probably listen to Joe Rogan on in some capacity. I used to listen to Joe Rogan. I don't have the highest opinion of him really, but anymore. Um, but like there are people that really, the people in this comment section, especially, I think kind of fancy themselves as independent thinkers. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and not brainwashed by the media, um, the corporate media, mainstream media. Yeah. yeah. The, the fake media. news. Yeah, exactly. And, they're literally looking at a screenshot, a uh, headline, and then taking it as gospel hmm. from this guy who doesn't fucking read articles, <laughs> right? That we know doesn't read articles. And uh, they're kind of taking it as like a call to arms almost. I, I, I don't know. I, I still personally listen to Joe Rogan every once in a while. Not that I agree with everything he's saying, but I think it's interesting to hear like the opposite side from time to time. I can't listen to him all day and night, but because it is just like, well, I, I saw an article that said <laughs> this. And then he says, Jamie, pull it up. And then Jamie says, it's not true. Yeah, that's not actually what it's right. Saying. But then yeah. like that'll get somebody clipped. else. It, It'll yeah. be like, yeah, I was reading this article that this volcano is going to blow up and the whole earth's going to explode. Jamie, pull it up. And then five minutes later, after they put the clip on, you know, TikTok or whatever, yeah. he's like, yeah, that wasn't yeah. true at all. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I guess, like, I feel like the big message we're trying to get out there on this is that you kind of have to do your own research. Uh, obviously, like, the whole reason we post all the stuff we're talking about is so you can look at our sources, so you can look at what we're talking about. And we're yeah, just don't take our word. For right. It. We're happy if you disagree with us. We're I think that's the type of conversation more people need to have uh, and be willing to have to be wrong. 
So, um, I mean, that's my main takeaway. I don't know, Zach, is there anything else? Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the other part of it is like, to me, this study that is being shared is like anti, uh, small scale Mm. agriculture, community agriculture, um, is not that. And I think it actually, you know, more promotes that and promotes, you know, increasingly sustainable practices, I'll say. I mean, sure, the headline isn't what you would think it would be to to promote that. It's just being very easily misrepresented, I would say. But I, I think more so than not, it's saying community agriculture is has a higher potential. Right. Yeah. And the last thing I just thought of that I thought we should mention is that using carbon footprint for any source of metrics or anything like that is just absolutely ridiculous. It's a term that was popularized by BP in like the 2000s. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. I just can't trust that. I mean, in this case, it's in this case, it's being used to benefit, um, you know, conventional big agriculture. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not I would say it's not the most useless thing, but it's definitely not the most useful thing. It's a one of the, another one of those propaganda words to me, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. just a way for them to kind of weasel out of a lot of these yeah. things it's, it's a metric it's not a great metric it's not i would i would go to say it's not even really a good metric <laughs> it's easily used to 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 sway an opinion or to get an intended point across that industry wants to get across just like what we've been talking about and what we've been reading i mean in this episode but that's going to do it for tonight's episode. I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, we're going to link everything, as we said, in the show notes. So you can all take a look at these articles, kind of see how everything, you know, got changed up through the game of telephone that is journalism. <laughs> um, AI journalism. AI journalism. If anyone finds out Joe Pinkstone is an AI DM me at our Twitter. <laughs> this is a side project. <laughs> but anyways, it's good to be back doing some of these general episodes. Um, look forward to talking to you guys some more about some interesting things like this. Uh, anything else from you, Zach? Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.